0: We're studying Second uh, Peter. Jim has started a series in that, so I want to invite you to turn back. Second Peter, chapter one, is where we'll spend some of our time this evening. Can you believe that it has been nearly two months already since Sister Ruth Bryan passed away? Two months. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Some of you were at the service that we had here at the church building. Um, And in that service, I recounted what I saw as one of the most remarkable events that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, I arrived at the hospital, and she was surrounded by her family. And when she woke up, her her two sons uh, that were present, Phil and Steve, asked everyone to leave the room except the two boys and, and me. And I got to stand there when I watched those two boys explain to their mother that the heart attack she had experienced was more extensive than doctors had thought previously. And so she had been given a, a temporary pacemaker that they couldn't keep in her. And so they had to make the decision to turn that off. And so I was there when I saw Phil and Steve explain to their mother exactly what that meant, that she would go to sleep and that would be it. The most remarkable thing, though, that stood out to me about that day in that conversation was watching Ruth's response to that. She said, well, God is good. It was phenomenal, the grace and peace that she experienced. And after after that conversation with the two boys and myself, the rest of the family came in and surrounded her bed and And she gave one of these farewell speeches with the most confidence and peace you've ever seen. Uh, I recounted this at her service. She said, live life God's way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. God sent His precious Son so that you and I could have eternal life. Live your life in such a way that when it is your time to go, you'll be ready. Within ten minutes of that, Ruth Bryan had passed into eternity. I'm telling you, it was the most remarkable thing I've ever witnessed in my life. I thought about that moment, especially this past week. There was someone who was at Ruth's funeral as we retold that story and talked about Ruth's life. And it was an older lady. She lives at Tilridge, And she had sent me an email message. And she said, uh, I was wondering if I could have a copy of what Ruth said. She said, because if I should find myself with the ability to... Speak what I want to speak as my last words. I think I would like to repeat what Ruth said. is that remarkable? Well, I've thought about that also in studying this text for this evening because what you find in Second Peter, Peter knows that his time to die is very close. You get this hint if you have your Bible open. Second Peter chapter 1. Listen to what Peter says beginning in verse 12 again. I always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this body because I know that I soon will put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. That that mindset of Peter's kind of frames everything you find in 2 Peter. It's, Peter realizing that he doesn't have a lot longer to live. And Peter realizing that at any moment, this will be the last conversation, the last words he ever shares with the church. And so here in this text, Peter says, I wanted to take a moment to remind you of a few things, a few important things. Now, for Peter, this also kind of goes back to the end of the Gospel of John. If you remember that, this is John chapter 21 and verse 18 Just after Peter had met Jesus again, and and Jesus goes through that series of, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my. Do you love me, Peter? And Peter's kind of frustrated about this. And then in John chapter 21 and verse 18, Jesus says, Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, John tells us, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. So, I mean, this this conversation about Peter's death has kind of been percolating, if you will. It's been in the back of Peter's head since that episode in John 21. Jesus said, somebody's going to lead you somewhere else, and you're going to die in your old age. And now Peter, as he's gotten older and he's watched these events unfold, in 2 Peter he says... This probably could be very soon. It may be that Jesus gave him some new revelation even after John 21. We're not sure. Verse 14 seems to indicate that's possible. But whatever is going on in Peter's life when he writes this, in the back of Peter's mind, actually in the front of Peter's mind, is that he's not going to be here long. As one New Testament scholar wrote, the death of an apostle should not mean the death of the apostolic faith. And that's what Peter's dealing with. He wants, after he's gone, after he's passed on, he wants to make sure that the faith continues after him. Now, there's something else on Peter's mind that's kind of bugging him. You look down to chapter 2 of Second Peter, and you find out that one of the reasons Peter's worried about this is because there are false prophets wreaking havoc in the church. It's natural for someone who's growing older to begin worrying about things, but especially, especially when you know something is going on that threatens the faith of the people you're leaving behind. And so Peter says, he, he talks about this, the false teaching that's going on, and it's, it's kind of a weird one. You read down chapter 2. He says, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow those shameful ways and will bring the the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So, here Peter is. He's, He's older in his years. He knows he's about to die, but he also looks out at the church and he realizes there are people wreaking havoc in the church. And as you'll notice as Jim and I preach through Second Peter, some of this has to do with whether or not Jesus is even coming back. Whether, whether or not this whole second coming concept, whether Jesus himself is all that significant in the scheme of things. And in chapter three, he says, there are some people who's going around mocking saying, "Where's the sign of his coming? Look, it's been quite a while since he said he was coming back, and he hasn't come back. Maybe he was wrong. Maybe this theology of yours is all just messed up and made up, because nothing has changed since the beginning of time. And so Peter writes Second Peter to say, "Actually, some things have changed." But Peter's concern is for the church and what's going to be faced by them after he's gone. And so this section of 2 Peter is Peter giving assurances to the church to say, I want to remind you for a moment of what you believed. And I want to assure you that what you believed was not made up like the false teachers have made things up. And Peter says, I want to give you some things that you can hold on to, that that you can know are true and that you can know are certain. And so he begins with the very nature of the message itself. If you were going to commit the perfect crime, what is the one thing you don't want to deal with? Doug? (laughs) Evidence. You don't want evidence. Especially eyewitness accounts. Right? I mean, eyewitnesses really mess up the perfect crime. It's hard to get away with someone when someone watches you do it. If you've been following the news this week, it's kind of depressing, Brian Williams, NBC News. He made this claim that he was on a helicopter in Iraq, north of the battle zone of Iraq. He says, my helicopter was shot with an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade. We landed, had to spend the evening in the desert. There was a few problems with this story, though. Eyewitnesses. In fact, the helicopter pilot said, that's not how it went down. And, and since he told this story, he has, there are other stories that he has reported on have come under scrutiny. Back during Hurricane Katrina, he said, I looked out of my hotel room and I saw bodies floating down the French quarters. You know the problem with that? eyewitnesses who said the French Quarter never flooded. Eyewitnesses really mess up crimes and stories and stuff, you know? And so if you've watched the news, he's taken a a leave of absence from the nightly news at NBC. His credibility has been called into question. It's been challenged. Eyewitness accounts are powerful things. Now listen to Peter. Peter. He says, verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter says, I'm not, I'm not asking you to believe a faith that I've heard somebody else repeat. I'm not asking you to believe something else I've, I've read. I'm asking you to believe and to trust what we saw with our own eyes. And I was there, Peter says, I saw it. I saw His majesty. Does this story ring a bell for anybody? Listen to Peter's recitation of this. He received glory and honor from God the Father when a voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred Mount. Does that ring a bell? If you go back and read Mark chapter 9. Peter, James, John were invited by Jesus to climb this mountain. They went up on the mountain and when they were there, they saw Jesus. His his appearance completely changed as white as could be. And they stood there. And you remember somebody else showed up too. It was Moses and Elijah. the The great teacher, the great lawgiver, the great a miracle worker, these great men of Old Testament times. You couldn't help but be enthralled being there. Of course Peter's going to remember this. This stands out in Peter's life. Peter's the one on that day in Mark chapter 9 who said, it is great that we are here. Peter's the one in Mark chapter 9 who said, maybe we should build temples or tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for life. That's a great idea, isn't it? Peter's the one who was told by the Lord... Uh, You listen to Jesus. You think that's going to stand out in Peter's mind? Peter was there. Peter saw it. And as Peter draws older in years, and Peter's about to die, he writes to the church, he says, Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, I saw this with my own eyes. Don't let people tell you this is a made-up story. Don't let people tell you we just came up with this on our own. I saw it. And I saw His glory. I saw His majesty. I am an eyewitness of this. Cling to the faith. Don't give up on the faith. You see, the events that transpired with Peter completely changed his life. This, this is the Peter who, who denies Jesus and something causes him to rethink that, to recalibrate his teaching and belief. He's an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus Christ. You see, you should always be a bit leery of any prophet, of any teacher who claims to have certain knowledge that nobody else has. Of people who, who purport to have looked into a hat and seen some sort of glass plates or golden plates, and nobody else has seen them. Someone who claims that over the span of his lifetime, God spoke to him in the Near East. Nobody else heard this voice, but he heard this voice and you trust him. The story of the Gospel, brothers and sisters, is nothing like that. The story of the Gospel is a historical event with eyewitnesses of these things. Not one eyewitness, not two eyewitnesses, lots of eyewitnesses of the events. On a Sunday morning, certain women went to the tomb of Jesus and they found it empty. That empty tomb was verified by eleven apostles. All 11 of those apostles claimed to have seen Jesus after His death in a resurrected form. If you were going to make up a story, scholars often raise this point, if you were going to make up a story and, and say that the resurrection of Jesus was something true and you should give your life to, in the ancient world you never claim that it was women who discovered an empty tomb. Nobody listens to women. the first century world, I don't mean that today. Just make sure I have a place to go home to tonight. Their their witness didn't stand up in in court. So if you're going to make up a lie, that's not the way to do it. But the Scripture says it was women who found the tomb. If you make up a story, at least make it sound like something we already believe, something that kind of jives with the popular teachings and theologies of Judaism. Nobody in Judaism claimed that the Messiah would be crucified, buried, and raised again the third day. So what? What in heaven's name would make twelve Jewish men begin preaching He's been crucified, buried, and risen again? It didn't just happen to the twelve. Peter or Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus appeared to over 300 brethren, 500 brethren at one time. This didn't happen in the backwoods. This didn't happen in a closet. We were eyewitnesses to His Majesty, Peter says. The faith that we delivered to you, the faith that we preach to you, is a faith firmly established in history and in eyewitnesses. And Peter says, I'm going to my deathbed clinging to what I know I saw with my own eyes. There are lots of theories as to why the Scriptures, why the early Christians came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've told you on several occasions I've taken a class at OU with one of the leading agnostics or atheists of our day, Dr. Bart Ehrman. And I'll never forget in that class, he said one of the hardest things to explain for an atheist is why all twelve apostles went to their graves still clinging to their confession that Jesus was risen from the dead. You can explain it if someone recants it at the end. You can explain it if they went off to wealth and fame and prosperity and fortune and all these things. Not one of the twelve apostles died in that state. Every one of them died a martyr's death confessing, I'm eyewitnesses to what I saw. Eyewitness to His glory. Brothers and sisters, we have good reasons to believe in an empty tomb. We have good reason to believe that when Peter and Paul and the writers of the New Testament said on the third day he arose, that he's still alive. It's also fascinating to note that the the Christian story did not begin somewhere far off in the distance, far off removed by the people who watched these events unfold. When they stood to preach the resurrection of Jesus, you remember where they're standing? In the heart of the temple. That at a distance you could probably still see where Jesus was crucified. The people who were there when Jesus was killed were standing there the day that Peter preached. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved among you by many signs and wonders which he did in the midst of you. God has raised him from the dead. You don't believe me? Go look at the tomb. You think I'm lying? Show me the body. And you think I'd die for something I knew was to be a fraud? eyewitnesses to His glory. And here Peter's on his deathbed worried about the church and worried about the false teachers. Worried that they're claiming that this whole system of faith, this whole second coming of Jesus, it's been, at least by Peter's day and age, 40 years maybe since Jesus said, I'll be back. And He hasn't come back. You guys didn't know what you're talking about. And Peter says, I did know. I do know. I am eyewitness to that. I know what I saw. You continue to read this text in Second Peter, and he reminds you of something else. Verse 19, We have this word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never has its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A true prophet doesn't tell you what he wants you to know that he thought of. The true prophet is moved by the Spirit of God to speak. And Peter here is painting a picture, kind of a broad brush picture. He says, if you go back and you look at all the prophets of old, all Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. All of those prophets. All of that has been confirmed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it did not happen in a void. It was not some man's own personal interpretation of what he thinks he might have seen. It was the culmination of everything embodied in Jesus Christ. This image that Paul that Peter uses here is a fascinating image. That you will do well as a light shining in darkness as the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the last time you stayed up all night long. It's not fun. It was a lot more enjoyable in high school and college. Once you get out of your 20s, it's, you don't do it on purpose. But you know what it's like there? It's, the sun's not coming up quite yet, but there's, a, there's kind of a light. And it begins to shine. And you know morning is around the corner. It's weird. It's kind of a beautiful sense of calm and peace. And Peter says, you need to remember this that the story we told you, the story we've taught you, is like that light before dawn. This image of God's glorious coming, of hope and peace and perfection. And that what all of this is that you and I have seen, the majesty that Peter saw with his own eyes, the change we've seen in our life, Peter says that's like the morning star of what's coming around the corner. Peter were a good oaky, he'd say, you ain't seen nothing yet. All of the resurrection, all of the majesty, all of the stuff I saw on that mountain pales in comparison to the morning light that's on its way. And you have every reason to cling to that message. It wasn't born in a void. The interesting thing about Peter's words is that it raises interesting questions about why we believe the story of Jesus Christ. And we have good reason. We're not backwards bumblers who just accept things by faith without evidence and faith without substance. The world was changed that day that those ladies announced the tomb is empty. The world has never been the same since that angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? If Jesus Christ did not raise from the tomb, how do you explain all that has shifted from that moment on? From the way we tell time, to the way we free slaves, to the way we reach out in hospitality It's all done under the name of Jesus Christ, driven by a story that he was risen from the dead. And for thousands of years, men and women have gone to their graves confessing that. Eyewitnesses to his majesty. Is your testimony about Jesus believable? No, we may not have been there to see the empty tomb and to see His resurrection appearance for those 40 days. But is your life so substantively changed that when you speak of Jesus Christ, people see that something has changed in you? You see, that's the thing about Peter. The reason Peter could say, I was a witness to His Majesty, it wasn't just that Peter was trying to convince them of what he saw, it's Peter is saying, I saw something that completely changed my life. And I'm so compelled by what I saw, that even going to my grave, I'm going to go to the other side, and I want you to still hold on to what I said. Is your testimony of Jesus that compelling? so that the way you live your life, the way you speak about Jesus, people can't help but say they've seen something. It's that great story in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Peter, James, and John have been arrested, taken to the temple. The people of the temple can't figure out what to do with them. They tried to tell them to stop teaching. And then the text says, chapter 4 and verse 13, This here's one thing we know. They have been with Jesus. Eyewitnesses to His majesty. It's interesting to note that in the second century, because Peter loved the Lord and he loved the church so much and he wanted them to know that he was an eyewitness, that second century Christians, second, third century Christians, often spoke about the Gospel of Mark as being written by Mark with the help of Peter. Now, Mark I believe with all my heart is inspired by God. But early Christian writers when they talked about this they said what Mark is recording since Mark wasn't there as an eyewitness himself he became a follower later in life that it was Peter who was a disciple that it was Mark a disciple of Peter recording what Peter recalled of his interaction with Jesus. A second century writer wrote these words Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered, not indeed in order of the things said or done by the Lord. For he had not heard the Lord, nor had he followed Him. But later on, as I said, followed Peter, who used to give teaching as necessity demanded. Peter wanted them to remember what he had seen and what he had heard. It's tradition, it may or may not be true, but it's interesting to think the Gospel of Mark records his eyewitness testimony of Jesus. History is certain. It's not certain as to when Peter died. Nor where. But tradition again states that we believe Peter died in the city of Rome around the year 65-66 A.D. That Peter was taken... To his death, he was charged with the crime of teaching an illegal religion. And that that Peter was crucified. But most of you know the tradition. Tradition suggests that when it was time for him to die, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die the same way my Lord died. I want to be crucified upside down. And for years, the church has been sustained by that tradition and by that faith of this great man, this apostle of Jesus Christ, this eyewitness to His majesty that went to His grave via crucifixion, still confessing the risen Lord. And I don't care who you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, that's hard to explain unless Peter really saw something that changed his life. I think Peter would still be concerned today about what's being taught in culture and in civilization. I think Peter would be concerned when he saw the books on the shelves claiming that Christianity is just a made-up religion, a made-up faith. I think Peter would be concerned about people of learning in the church who purported to know more about the text than Peter claimed in the text. I think Peter would be concerned about people who say you can't really trust your Bibles. Because what Peter is claiming is that we saw with our own eyes and the Spirit of God moves men to write and that the testimony of Jesus Christ is true. It's revealed in Scripture. And it's revealed in the continued living testimony of God's people. You see, the apostolic faith did not die with the apostles. Because God has continued through Scripture and through His church to teach that Jesus Christ indeed is risen from the dead. We want to offer the invitation this evening because what Peter was proclaiming, we still believe that it was an eyewitness to His glory, not just one, but several, who continued to carry the truth of the story of Jesus Christ. And if you want to become part of that story, you want to give your life to Him in baptism tonight, we offer the invitation every time we're together for that hope that you will join the faith that Peter spoke of in this text. we can help you this evening, please come as we stand and sing.